Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. The American Thoracic Society has released new guidelines on home oxygen therapy for patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and interstitial lung diseases, or ILDs. Today, I'll be speaking with the co-chair of the Guideline Writing Committee, Dr. Anne Holland, who is a professor of physiotherapy at Monash University and Alfred Health Melbourne in Australia, about the ILD-specific recommendations. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Holland. So the summary of recommendations is separated into a few sections, one of which is ILD. Can you talk about the recommendations specifically for patients with ILD? Certainly. So for patients with ILD, they often have quite profound hypoxemia, either at rest or in exertion. And the guidelines deal with two specific areas. They look at the prescription of long-term oxygen therapy or LTOT, and they look at the prescription of ambulatory oxygen therapy. So LTOT for patients who have resting hypoxemia is uh, really about patients who have uh, relatively advanced disease and they have hypoxemia at rest. And these are patients who often have quite severe resting hypoxemia as their disease advances and oxygen has long been thought of as an important treatment. Despite that, there's actually no randomised controlled trial specifically in ILD. So when we looked at making a recommendation in this space, we had to draw on indirect evidence that came from patients with COPD, where we do have some randomised trials that show a mortality benefit. So in light of that, and given the real burden, I think, of resting hypoxemia for these patients, the panel placed a really high value on those those trials, which were indirect evidence. And the recommendation for long-term oxygen therapy for patients with ILD was for patients with resting hypoxemia to have this prescribed for 15 hours a day at least. And that was a strong recommendation. For ambulatory oxygen therapy, this is prescribed for patients who have only exertional desaturation. And in this area, we did have one trial that we could draw on, which showed an improvement in quality of life, which we considered a very important outcome for these patients. So in this area, there were no long-term trials. This is only, the only trial we had was short-term over about two weeks. So we couldn't say anything really about long-term benefits of this therapy. And we're also aware for this particular treatment that there are burdens for for patients. So they describe difficulties using the equipment, um, loss of independence and more caregiver burden, you know, needing to to manage cylinders and to manage the equipment and also some stigma associated with using oxygen in the community. So in this area, there was more of a trade-off, I think, between the benefits and the burdens, particularly given there was not a lot of evidence So for ambulatory oxygen, the panel actually made a conditional recommendation in favour of prescribing this therapy for patients who had exertional desaturation. I think one of the nice things about the guidelines is it has a best practice recommendation around education and support for users of oxygen therapy. We know from many of the qualitative studies that this is an area where patients and caregivers often feel like they uh, don't have enough information uh, about their devices and about how to use them. And it's possibly an area that hasn't appeared very much in oxygen guidelines before. So the guidelines suggest that we should pay attention to making sure that 
that our patients and caregivers understand the safety requirements around oxygen. So that's including um, managing falls risk uh, with things like oxygen tubing at home, but also managing uh, fire risk, of course, as well. So keeping away from open flames and um, making sure that nobody is smoking around oxygen devices. And then, of course, there's the making sure that the patients and caregivers feel confident in the use of their devices. So, you know, how to manage their cylinders, how to um, turn their equipment on and off, how to uh, change their cylinders when needed, how to interact with their oxygen providers and really feel you know, confident to use these devices in a way that they can get the most out of them. So uh, I think that's a really positive development to have that articulated in the guideline alongside the clinical recommendations. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And so what do these recommendations mean for prescribing oxygen to your patients with ILD? For patients who have resting hypoxemia, I think these guidelines support the existing practice, which is the prescription of long-term oxygen therapy uh, for these patients. And this has been something that's been prescribed for um, many years. It's considered a really important part of treatment. And the strong recommendation, I think, continues to support that practice of prescribing long-term oxygen therapy. I think with ambulatory oxygen therapy, what the guidelines do is place this therapy more squarely in the space of shared decision-making. So I think the guidelines articulate, articulate that there are really quite considerable benefits for some patients, but for other patients, they may choose not to use this therapy. You know, there may be some patients for whom actually the burdens outweigh the benefits. So for ambulatory oxygen therapy, this becomes much more of a, um, a shared decision-making process between clinicians and individual patients. And I think it was nice to see that really articulated in the guidelines uh, in a way that I think will help people to have those discussions with their patients about whether this is the right therapy for them at the right time. And for some patients that will absolutely be yes. And for other patients, it's possible that some will choose no at this time. And you mentioned before that there is a lack of evidence, a lack of research. Um, so what research is either currently in the works or do you hope uh, will be conducted uh, that will help improve these guidelines in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. There were certainly a number of research gaps that were identified as we went through the process of making the guidelines. In terms of long-term oxygen therapy, because this is such an established part of treatment for patients who have quite advanced disease, it's really difficult, I think, to imagine a situation where you might have a randomised controlled trial where you randomised some of these patients to not receiving the therapy. I think many clinicians would feel that there was a lack of equipoise in that space, particularly you know, given these are people sort of towards the end of their life and the you know, potential benefits in terms of a mortality benefit you know, are quite substantial. So although there was really no randomised controlled trials for long-term oxygen therapy in ILD, the traditional model of trials is are still going to be very difficult to run. So in this situation, the panel actually suggested that this might be a space where investigators might choose to do innovative trial designs. So, you know, using things like quasi-randomised controlled trials or, you know, some of the um, more adaptive models, which include choice in the design. So I think what we're looking for here is, is really in the future um, some, some advanced trial designs to answer the question of the benefits of, of long-term oxygen therapy. 
In terms of ambulatory oxygen therapy, there are certainly some trials underway in ILD to look at longer term benefits of this therapy. Uh, we currently have one underway here in Australia and at sites in Sweden, uh, looking at the benefits in patients with fibrotic ILD. Uh, and comparing that to a sham device delivering air and with a period of about six months. So we would hope that that will provide some more answers about the benefits of this treatment, particularly for patient-centred outcomes such as physical activity in daily life and quality of life and symptoms. The other area that I think the panel identified as a gap which we'd like to see filled in the future is around having better oxygen devices for patients with ILD. These are patients who often have quite profound hypoxemia, either at rest or during exertion. And many of the current devices we have available, I think are not um, able to correct that. They're not able to deliver high enough levels of oxygen, um, particularly in a portable enough form for patients who need it to be ambulatory and need to, the device to move around. So what we'd really like to see is some good partnerships between um, device developers and researchers to develop better devices that can better meet the needs of patients with ILD for oxygen therapy. Absolutely. And so what is the overall key take-home message for providers who care for patients with ILDs? The key take-home message for people caring for patients with ILD is that these are patients who have really quite significant uh, exertional desaturation or resting hypoxemia. Uh, it's very important to evaluate patients for those things and identify when hypoxemia is present. Uh, Long-term oxygen therapy has a really critical role for patients who have um, uh, resting hypoxemia, particularly, you know, those patients with advanced disease towards the end of their life. And patients should certainly be um, referred for assessment for that. Uh, for patients who have needs for ambulatory oxygen therapy, that's often a bit more of a complex discussion where we need to evaluate uh, the benefits versus the burdens for individual patients at that particular point in time. Thank you so much for joining me today and answering my questions about this guideline. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about this guideline, which I hope will contribute to the care of patients with lung disease into the future. I'd particularly like to thank the American Thoracic Society for supporting the uh, work on the guideline and uh, the many ways in which they helped this guideline come to publication and fruition. So thank you.